guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I'd like to thank my sponsors, PML Construction, SRP Environmental, CCS Group, Make You Safe Wearable Technology, and the Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group. Check out the episode notes and find their websites or contact information. Check them out and give them a call if they can help you out. Thank you for your support, guys. We sincerely appreciate it. Now on with the episode. It is Friday, June 2nd, and uh, my God, they went by quickly, <laughs> at least for me. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope you had a good week and um, are coming up on a good weekend. I have one quick announcement that I'd like to make before we get started with the guest today. Uh, I put this out not too long ago. Bike with Mike is an event that uh, a charity fundraiser biking event that my family participates in coming up on June 10th in Council Bluffs, Iowa. You guys look like biking family. You guys might want to participate in this. Yeah, it's good. It's a great, it's a great fundraiser. It is uh, become a fantastic event. It's on June 10th over in Council Bluffs at the Wilderness Trace Bike Trail at 9 a.m. So if you are interested in biking or if you are interested in a good cause or both, check out Bike with Mike on the web and uh, see if it might be something you would want to contribute to or participate in. Um, in addition to our normal sponsors, this episode is sponsored by the Great Plains ASSP chapter, and uh, they, they are sponsoring five episodes, and as part of that program, um, Ed is joining us from the ASSP to speak a little bit about participation in that group, and we've also got some guests, some previous speakers to the local ASSP chapter who are going to share some insights and information with us in just a minute. Um, and thank you for joining us. Uh, I'd love to know where you guys are. I can, I know you're not here. I can tell that by the fact that you're on that screen there. So I'd love to hear more about where you are. Um, Ed Armanderas, uh, thanks for showing up, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you, Doug. Pleasure being here. Pleasure being a part of ASSP and, and being on your your podcast. Are you an officer with the group or what's your... I am. I'm going to, this upcoming ASSP year, which starts July 1st, I'm going to be our secretary. Oh, very good. Very good. And then you are currently... You're the regional safety manager for HDR. Which for is HDR. I'm very familiar with. Yes, yes. I've been with HDR coming up on 12 years, and I'm our central region health and safety manager. So Nice. 12 yeah. years. Yeah. Wow, that went cool. by. <laughs> oh, well, so you were with HDR when I was with OSHA then still. Correct. Because I've been out of OSHA for about 10 years now. Yes. Oh, very yes, good. Sir. Good. I hope everything went well between us. <laughs> no problems. Yes. No, no problems. I've always been a big proponent of partnering with OSHA and working yeah. with them, right? And HDR to hide. part of that, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So as far as ASSP, the American Society of Safety Professionals, the Great Plains chapter is our local chapter here in Omaha. Um, talk a little bit about the ASSP and why people would consider membership in ASSP. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for this opportunity again. A lot of great benefits that you can get it for, for being a member, uh, starting off with networking opportunities, right? You get to meet professionals like the like Denise and Andrew that we're going to be talking to today and learn from them. And if you have an expertise, you get the opportunities to present that to other people as well and make connections that you would never imagine of making because you never know who is listening, right? Uh, leadership opportunities. A lot of people, especially young professionals, need those opportunities to grow in their profession. And there's plenty of opportunities in every chapter, point, yeah. right? Uh, I came from Wichita, Kansas, and there I had multiple roles within our chapter, all the way up to president, and it was great, right? And and you set goals, and you become a star 
um, you know, you reach the highest levels within your within your chapter, and there's a lot to go with that, and you can put it on your resume, and you learn a lot from it. Um, there's free webinars that you're made aware of from the ASSP as well. Um, there's um, free downloadable eBooks that, again, you get the emails, you check it out, you don't have to listen to it all, but if it's interesting to you, there it is, right? It's an opportunity. I did not know that. Doris uh, never shared any of this. <laughs> I would have joined a long time. She's hiding from you. Yeah. Hiding. <laughs> um, our June meeting is not just going to be a regular meeting where we sit down and talk. It's going to be a plant tour, which is oh nice, super cool, right? I've always enjoyed going on those in the past. This one's going to be at the Kloss North American headquarters. Oh, right, and I'm heading over there right after this podcast. Oh yeah, they're one of my clients. That's a yeah. great facility. Great for people who don't know about that to see how combines get built. Yeah. Right? Um, it's just a really interesting process. Yes. If you've never seen production line type assembly, it is really fantastic. Absolutely. It's very interesting. And anybody can join that. But if you're a member, it's a little bit less expensive as well. Right. Nice. Uh, and for some people, your company pays for your membership and, and your monthly. Well, they dues, should. But not everybody does. So it does pay you to, to get that discount, right? Well, my company members. does not, frankly. <laughs> Fletcher Safety, the cheap ass, they don't actually pay for the partnerships, but Come on, I'll have to pay for that on my own pocket. But um, you mentioned something that I had not really considered, and that is the leadership opportunities. The opportunities to yes. participate in leadership of an organization like this is probably a really good um, skill set builder for a lot of fo new folks into the profession. That's really great. That's a yeah, great absolutely. thought. And even if you are already advanced in your professional safety career, we need you in those roles as well. So you can be a mentor to those young professionals coming on, right? How do you become a leader? How do you, how do you take on this role? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I mentioned I was really active in Wichita when I moved to Omaha, I was, I've been super busy. I still am, but I decided, you know, it's time, time to join again. So a year or two ago, I decided to get active again. So again, you can become a member and you don't have to be constantly active and be an officer at all times. You, you participate as you can, but then when it's time and you decide to mm. get more active, right? It's all that's up great. to you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. There's no real requirement to participate every month correct. You, as your schedule permits. Yeah, correct. But I think, again, this is something that we've talked about before. The, the opportunity to network is invaluable. I'm not sure you can put a value on that. Right. Uh, the mentorships, the friendships, the professional relationships, opportunities. I know uh, yes. when people call me and, and people call me frequently just that are interested in employment opportunities around the community. Yeah. I've been here for so long. I just seem to know a lot of what's going on. And they and I always direct them to the website because that the job postings yes. are fantastic. Another um, big benefit. I, I just think, yeah, for me, that is one of the most tremendous benefits of such a group and the opportunity to listen to professionals. Uh, people that have expertise in certain subject matter. And so with that, if you don't mind, I'd like to introduce our guests. They've been very patient and waiting. Yes. And they recently um, presented to our local ASSP chapter. And so a link to that program. So the full program, uh, much more detailed than we'll have time for today, will be available on the Great Plains ASSP website. Correct. We'll post it with the liner notes for this episode. And it'll also go onto the What's the Hazard podcast uh, website as well. So I would encourage you to look at that. But having with that, I'd like to make introductions as, if I could. And this is actually the first time that we've met as well. And so I apologize. Um, I don't know your histories quite as well, but 
Denise Statham, is that correct? Did I say that right, Denise? Statham, yes. Statham. Mm-hmm. And you are the expert in FR, it's my understanding. As Andrew explained to me, Andrew Wirt, uh, who's also our guest, um, he said, Denise knows everything about this stuff. So. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that's true. But I have been doing this for a long time, so I'm I'm working on it. So this is fantastic. And so this, the topic for today is going to be specifically uh, protective apparel, FR clothing. Um, and I think this is a really well-understood topic in certain sectors. Obviously, oil and gas know this well. Uh, electric utilities know this well. But, you know, many of the clients that I work with, folks in the grain industry, folks in the ethanol industry even, manufacturing and construction may not be quite as familiar with FR and what that means. So, Denise, could you break that down just a little bit? Maybe talk about in general what we're talking about and a little bit of the history of FR clothing? Yep, I can do that. Um, you've, you've mentioned the largest markets that we serve. By the way, I'm with Volwark Protective Apparel, and we're a manufacturer of FR daily wear. And what that means is that in certain workplace environments, when um, a, an employee is at risk of being exposed to a thermal hazard on the job, then the decision would be made by their employer that they should be wearing flame-resistant clothing. Um, and the intent, of course, is to prevent, if you can, clothing ignition, but in the unfortunate event that you are exposed uh, to an event that ignites the clothing, flame-resistant clothing will self-extinguish and uh, not prevent burn injury, but minimize it. And that, of course, um, increases the chances of survival. So um, as we highlighted in our webinar a couple of weeks ago, there are many, many thermal hazards uh, in the workplace, probably more than people have ever stopped to think about. Uh, but flash fire that a petroleum worker or a chemical worker, or refinery worker might uh, encounter is one of our big end user groups, electric arc, utility workers, and electricians uh, is another of the largest uh, end user groups we serve. But there are others that encounter molten metal, uh, are engaged in welding and grinding, for example, or who are just exposed to um, radiant heat. Think of molten glass, for example. Um, there are plenty of uh, opportunities uh, for clothing ignition in the workplace. And we would like to um, educate employers for the need and the availability of flame-resistant clothing to protect their workers adequately. I'm sure Angie would like to add some comments to that as well. Yeah, thank you so much. That was really, yeah, I appreciate that. Andrew? Yeah. Which sure. Are, yeah, I'm Andrew Wirtz. I'm with NASCO Industries. Uh, Denise and I have been um, working in the FR market uh, t- t- together um, for quite a number of years, 20, 20 plus years, I believe. Um, so it's, it's, it's been great to be able to, to, to call her a colleague. Um, yeah, the, the whole FR clothing marketplace is very, um, very different. Um, mostly related to um, having a direct connection to the hazard that you're exposed to. So uh, products have different characteristics. They're designed differently. They they have different flame retardant um, technologies, uh, all based on the specific hazard that uh, that those products are designed for. So it's important. As Denise mentioned, those different user groups, it's important for them to understand what the hazard is 
and make product selection that is based specifically on that hazard. So it's, it's just important to make sure that end users um, understand what their hazard is and, and select the right technology for, for their use. Okay. And so you, you mentioned a few terms in there. You mentioned uh, flame resistance and fire retardant, and those are different things, are they not? From the textile standpoint, from the clothing standpoint? Yes, they are. Um, flame resistance is the characteristic of, of resisting the ignition or continued burning. Uh, flame retardant is, um, is a, um, uh, a, a chemical treatment and or a, an inherent fiber feature that, um, that, that makes a, a product give, gives it the ability to resist that ignition. Interesting. Okay. So what we're talking about then is essentially clothing that will, that has a, is more difficult to ignite and it does not sustain, it doesn't continue to burn after that ignition source is removed. It will extinguish itself. So it doesn't like the, like the, uh, like that nylon golf shirt I wore yesterday in the steel mill that as I was driving here this morning thinking, Oh shit! I got to throw away all of those nylon shirts. I shouldn't be wearing those in any factory that I visit, should I? I mean, truthfully, you should never wear a, a nylon shirt in any industrial or construction setting where there's a potential. Well, that's um, that's a good thought. <clears throat> and even if you are wearing flame-resistant clothing, but you have a certain kind of undergarment below it, um, underneath um, nylon or polyester, that's not um, um, flame resistant that could melt onto your skin even underneath a flame resistant garment mm. so uh, considering what you wear under your flame resistant clothing is very important and also on top right Denise I mean if you're wearing FR clothing the right one that you're specifying but then you have a regular safety vest on that's just going to melt onto you as well correct yep so this layering all of this layering really so so this to me is really interesting because as I said, I, I go into facilities all the time where there are obviously um, some type of flash fire or electrical hazards. Now, I don't do work. I mean, I actually haven't done work in over 37 <laughs> years. Truthfully, I just watch people work, which is, you know, an, an incredible gig if you can get it. But for anyone working in those environments, I would think that we probably just don't use this. This is not a consideration that most people make. And that now this is starting to scare me a little bit. So... Do we need to be considering, so, you know, most of these environments, there's probably not a continuous hazard, but there are intermittent exposures. If, I mean, I see maintenance guys working on electrical stuff all the time. I see production people handling flammable chemicals all periodically in their processes. Um, should they all be, should be wearing FR, shouldn't they? Or at least not wearing big uh, polyester logos that are going to be permanently branded under their skin. And that's a great segue into um, something I think is important for us to discuss, and that's who's responsible for what in all of this. And the employer bears a, a very large responsibility for general safety of their employees, not just from thermal hazards, but from every, ha every hazard that exists in the workplace. And um, this is what the general duty clause that, that OSHA um, mandates is all about. 
uh, employer, you should know, you need to know what the hazards are and you need to protect your employees from those. So mm -hmm. uh, identifying a thermal hazard and then making sure your employees are protected from that thermal hazard uh, are, are, are a burden uh, for, the, for the employer. So um, I, I think it's fair to say any manufacturer is not really at liberty or has enough knowledge to tell you exactly what you need. We would need to garner some information from you first in order to uh, facilitate a good conversation to help somebody make the right selection of the garment that their employees need. Interesting. Yeah. So it's not as simple as just put on some FR clothes. I mean, I think you can go to, you know, like the sporting goods stores now and buy, you know, Carhartt is everywhere and they, and they apparently have some FR allegedly have some FR rated clothing and I'm not disparaging Carhartt, but, but uh, if I can go into the sporting goods store and just pick out some FR, it's, there's a high likelihood that it's not the appropriate well, what I need. Andrew, do you want to comment on the additional responsibility employers have, which is training their employees on on what to wear and how to wear it? This is this is difficult. It sounds like, or at least requires uh, someone knowledgeable in distinguishing what the appropriate type would be. It's not as easy as just going and picking something off the rack. Right. When somebody calls me and they ask the very the most general question there is. Hey, I need some FR clothing. Can you help me? The first question that needs to be asked is, what's your hazard? Mm -hmm. Exposure. And there you go. What's the hazard? I mean, that's exactly <laughs> why I named the podcast, What's the Hazard? Because that is a question that we as safety professionals should be asking constantly every day. What's the hazard? I mean, it triggers everything that we do. Right. Thank you, Denise. Nice. There's going to be something nice in the mail coming your way here very soon. <laughs> no, I, no, but you're right. I mean, that. How do you how do you make that selection without knowing what those specific issues are? And I mean, and again, I'm a, I'm a, a novice to this world, but I do know that you know different clothing, different FR clothing has different ratings. So there are certain exposures that some are appropriate for, and others that they're not. And again, without knowing that, it's not something that you can just, it's not like animals where you just match up the little tags. And So I would hope that an employee that's going into a retail establishment to buy flame-resistant clothing has some information about what they should be looking for in the way of compliance or uh, certain uh, looking for labeling, certain standards. Um, otherwise, you're right, they could make a... You make the wrong choice, or maybe better said, not the best choice. Mm -hmm. Is this yeah. is this uh, FR clothing considered PPE Absolutely. by OSHA? I mean, is OSHA enforcing this as PPE? They are, and like Denise mentioned, because of that fact, employers are required to provide it and provide the right one, right? So when my project managers come to me to say, hey, I'm going to this project, it requires FR, you know, there's follow-up questions. What kind of FR? And a lot of times we just work with the client because hopefully they've already established exactly what is needed. What their employees require. So we just Correct. mimic that, pivot yeah. back off that. Yeah. We just ask them what, you know, what kind of FR do we, are, are our employees going to need? We get that. We purchase that for them. We train them on it. Like Andrew mentioned, this is how this is going to protect you. This is why you need to wear this. So number one, we're making sure that the client's going to be happy when we arrive wearing the right equipment. And number two, we're making sure our employees are actually going to be protected. 
from the exposures, the hazards that they're going to be facing in the field. So um, that's important, right? Both of those for the right reasons. And for eight, I think it was against the rule, but what you wear under makes a difference. What you wear over, I was just, I think Denise, or maybe you actually mentioned this, but I was just thinking about, okay, I've got to throw away all of my bright yellow uh, polyester golf shirt, safety shirts. I've got to get rid of those. Um, I, I have cotton, but again, most m- most of my cotton clothing has logos or something, and I certainly don't want to be branded by some bar logo for the rest of my life, you know, on a T-shirt. Yeah. And then you throw over a vest, and I think most vests are probably not FR rated. I would assume I am not for the hardware store. Yeah, you have to make sure that they are rated, right? And I've been on some facilities where they want to they have you confirmed that even your logos are made out of fr thread mm-hmm. and i don't know on that part how important it is that it, even the thread is rated the same way as the rest of the clothing maybe andrew or denise can speak to that yeah the the, the thread like i guess my mic is on now is that right mm-hmm. okay so the, the thread that an embroidered logo is constructed of though it is pretty small in mass it does matter if it's next to the skin that that that's a a consideration that has to be taken um the size of it has to be taken into consideration as well um logos in general uh or other types of heraldry as it's referred to um should in most standards it's stipulated that it just shouldn't further the extent of the injury or, or, or degrade the product. Interesting. I love that word heraldry. Yeah. I have not heard that word ever spoken before. And my mom is an English professor, so I appreciate the new word, man. That's awesome. But, um, I think this is really interesting because I'm concerned and maybe you can speak to some of the experience that you have within, you know, in the industry providing these products, but should any maintenance person be if not wearing daily FR clothing, they certainly have to have access to FR anytime they're working on electrical components. Um, and I, and again, I'm not even I'm not an expert in 70E either. The NFPA requirements. I know a way to probably But I I think a lot of people should be in FR that are not. Is that your experience? I think over the years, there's a greater and greater awareness of the value of FR clothing. Unfortunately, um, I think Andrew would agree with this. Um, that may be spawn some activity toward issuing FR clothing. We don't like for it to happen that way. So we spend a lot of our time uh, educating employers on on the value of FR clothing Um there are people out there who who aren't who aren't wearing it yet, mm-hmm. so our job's not done. Mm-hmm. Definitely, um, yeah. There's a lot, and, and myself included. I hope to be an ambassador for this as well, at least. And I will say that the bulwark stuff is really good-looking stuff. Um, I used to do some work for a kind of a midstream natural gas outfit, and um, all of their folks wore FR all the time. And it, and it was actually good looking stuff like flannel shirts, blue jeans, boots and stuff like that. I was like, you know, I, I actually it's not I think what people envision it to be. Oftentimes they have an image of 40 years ago, like, you know, the safety glasses my dad used to wear at the plant. You know, those I think they have this image that they might not be 
something that they would want to wear every day. But man, it looks like it's an incredibly versatile uh, market and there's a lot of really nice options. So it's not quite, quite, uh, that shouldn't be the issue either. No, we, there, there have been quite a number of advancements over the years in making protective clothing uh, more of a want to wear than a need to wear. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of focus, at least from my perspective, and by the way, I can't take credit for that, uh, your nice compliments. Um, I'm on the technical side of our business only. So credit for the garment design goes to our merchandisers. And we have a fabulous group that focuses on that. But um, I'd say over the last decade, there's been a lot more focus uh, on comfort. If somebody's not comfortable in their clothing, they may not wear that clothing. Um, and and I, we we hope to deliver the comfort aspect with, and certainly never do that um, by sacrificing protection. Protection is always the highest priority, but um, there have been um, great advancements lately to make the garments look better and feel better. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think this transcends all PPE. I think we understand that if we are using PPE as a as a method of control, if that's one of our options, it has to be um, well-maintained, you know, well-fitting, comfortable, all of those things. Employees otherwise choose not to wear it or will resist wearing it or will not wear it correctly. And that's a battle that we just seem to fight every day. We don't want to fight that battle. So thank you for the gear at least attractive and comfortable because those of us that are out in the field fighting this battle don't want to have to do that all the time that, that's a tough battle yeah the other part of that is adding the uh, adding comfort adding style making that those those products more appealing to wear they're also likely to wear them at home and so um you know the, people have hazards at home as well and an awful lot of uh, lost uh, lost work time is because of, of accidents at home and i'm not saying that there's a bunch of thermal hazards uh, at, at home, but if uh, PPE in general is desirable to wear and and um, accessible to wear and it's worn at home, additional uh, protection is gained there. I love that comment, yeah. and uh, we always encourage that. I, I think Thanksgiving, dropping that turkey into that boiling hot oil, <laughs> I mean, damn, everybody should be wearing some Bulwark or NASCO gear for that, I would think. Absolutely. Right. I, I know that you guys do rainwear as well. Is that right, Andrew? Outer protective clothing. So in addition, I know that um, at least what I've read, if you layer FR clothing appropriately, you can gain protective uh, levels, perhaps. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Uh, wear over that your normal daily wear, you've actually gained something. Right. In fact, and, and, and often um, there are cases where even indoor applications, um, layers can can be put one on top of the other to um, um, our protective characteristics. So for switching operations, um, their their daily wear might might be um, not completely or not not protective en- uh, enough for that switching operation. But adding an outer layer to it, it there's, there's really an exponential gain, protective nature of, of those products when you put those layers on. You've got the additional uh, insulated factor of the air layer, air gap in between. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so that's interesting. So the air gap. So you don't want to be wearing FR that is really tapered, contoured tight. You need that air gap in there? 
So the iron workers are screwed because I know the iron workers love to have on tight t-shirts. Because this that is a problem though, right? I mean the 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 use, the way that we use it, the way that we care for it. I mean, you can't probably just launder this stuff like you would normally launder other clothing, perhaps. I don't know. Actually, you can. If our clothing can be laundered at home, should be should be laundered separately from your from your normal non-FR apparel, but it, it, it is easy to take care of. So the me- another me- message we um, seem to be persistently delivering um, is that care and maintenance of the garments is essential uh, for them to be able to, to deliver the protection that um, they're made to deliver. But keeping a garment clean and well-maintained is important, and it's, it's the job of the employee as an individual, especially if those garments are being taken home to be washed, uh, and, and of the employer um, if, if they are engaged in a rental program, and, and many, uh, many organizations are. Um, but it's not a difficult task. There are a few rules associated with laundering, um, some, uh, some uh, products that we recommend not be used are chlorine or starch or um, additives that could uh, leave residue on the, on the clothing and sure. perhaps mask the FR properties. Gotcha. And regular um, detergent that you buy at the grocery store is the way to wash off our clothing. Denise, does the FR clothing still have a limit on how many times it can be washed before the protective factor wears out? I can't speak for all brands of clothing, but Bulwark brands branded FR apparel is, uh, we promise that that clothing will remain flame resistant for the life of the garment, as long as it's properly cared for, meaning you, you, you do wash it, because it's important to note that many contaminants that are in users' face, uh, petroleum workers in particular, they are exposed to flammable substances that if are left on the garment or build up on the garment, they themselves can support uh, ignition. Uh, and keeping the garment clean to prevent that is essential. Well, that's a great point. Yeah, I hadn't even yeah. considered that. But I think, yeah, that that uh, the airborne contaminant or those exposures, aerosols, can build up on the clothing and make them more susceptible, perhaps. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Just like having a dirty safety vest, it's not going to be retroreflective anymore, right? Yeah. And you need to be seen from a distance. So. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Well, are, are there any misconceptions about FR clothing and things that, I find misconceptions really interesting simply from having spent so much time with OSHA and I encounter so many misconceptions about the agency. Are there misconceptions in your world that you are constantly trying to overcome or at least expose some truth? Andrew, you want to start? <laughs> and that was not a question that we discussed beforehand, so I don't okay. mean to the spot, but, but there are all sorts of rumors and you know urban legends and things about this stuff. Anything that you want to just right now say? I'll mention that uh, sometimes folks think that wearing non-FR cotton is a substitute for flame-resistant clothing. And in in some respects, we talked about garments that melt. Cotton won't melt, but cotton will burn. Mm-hmm. So uh, wearing wearing a cotton garment is a step in the right direction because you avoid the phenomenon of melting, but it is not a substitute for true flame-resistant clothing. Okay, that's a great one, because I do hear that a lot. 
I guess I would add that there's a uh, common misconception that is covers all thermal hazards, that all FR is the same. And that definitely is not the case. You, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you really have to match the FR performance to the hazard that you're trying to protect against. Okay, so if we are if we're if we're saying chemical versus um, electrical, those are different fiber types or different treatments or both. Yes, uh, well, a better example might be arc flash and flash fire. If, um, products products that will protect against an arc flash don't necessarily also protect against a flash fire. So it's important to, to make that distinction. Okay. Um, a, a, a chemical flash um, would would be more like a flash fire. So, um, but but in addition, there's a, there are chemical burns, and that comes more from the from the chemical penetrating clothing. So uh, that that would I guess that would be considered a, that chemical burn would be considered a thermal hazard. Interesting. Uh, okay. That's a distinction I wouldn't have necessarily come to. So I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, so I have some FR clothing at home in my closet. I don't know exactly what it's for specifically right now, but I know what I've used it in, in refineries. I hope it's the right one. Is there a, a table uh, within your websites or something where I could look at my tag on my clothing and go to your table and say, oh, this is what it's for, where it's all included, you know, everything what you're talking about right now? Yeah, the garment labels carry a lot of vital information uh, that describe what that garment is made to do what its limitations are, and primarily what thermal hazard it's designed to protect against. So that's that's the great place to start. Are there um, like acronyms or something that I would see in that label that are describing that hazard? Do you know those acronyms like ATPV? I see that all the time that gives me that CAL number typically. Or Yep, and that's related to electric arc exposure. It tells you um, how protective or what incident energy that garment is designed to protect against. And you have to be sure that that ATPV matches um, the incident energy that you know you could face in an accident uh, on the job site. Mm -hmm. Yes. Interesting. Okay. So I'm going to start looking at the labels. That's interesting. <laughs> I look at food labels all the time. I don't really, you know, I, I need to start looking at other labels as well. So this is, this is really interesting stuff. Right. So I have a question for you Yeah. as a past OSHA compliance guy. If I have employees in the field who are not wearing the right FR clothing, is this something that we're opening ourselves up to a potential OSHA citation? Oh, OSHA guy comes on site. Would that be something that they'd be looking for? Well, that, that that's the question. So I, I agree completely with Denise. The general duty clause, uh, 1910-132-D, uh, where you have to do the hazard assessment and prescribe the appropriate controls. All of those things, 269, I know, has a very specific um, yeah. description of the requirements. It leads us to the fact that the employer is going to be responsible for making that determination. And so I think in the environments that we know to be um, high risk, they would certainly look for that. So if they're working with electric utilities, if they're working with oil and gas, I'm sure they're looking for that. Yeah. If they're going into a facility like one of my clients that has maintenance guys that will occasionally be working around level two equipment, perhaps maybe, you know, electrical disconnects or MCCs or whatever, 
I don't know that they're looking for that, and they probably should. And, and it's a bad question because ultimately we should care about protecting our employees. Uh, I mean, whatever drives but whatever drives it, I don't, don't care what drives it. Yeah. Let's get there. Yeah, and, you know, and I wonder if it's good enough to see the FR on the side, or if they're going to go around asking, "Let me see your your label," right? Like Denise was mentioning that there's looking for specific information on that label. No, well, I can say in my experience with OSHA that if it's a routine inspection and they see that you're wearing FR clothing or that you've identified FR clothing in your hazard assessment and you've provided it, that's probably enough for them. But if it's post-incident, if they're investigating an accident or something, they're going to dig really deeply and make sure that all of those things yep. are appropriate. So makes sense. I think it might vary slightly based on that circumstance, but... I've run into some, you know, I've been gone for now from for 10 years and there are a, a bunch of new compliance officers here in Nebraska and they are much more detailed and much brighter than I was. I mean, I think these guys are actually digging into some of these things that I probably wouldn't have, you know, perhaps. And so I think, you know, that, and as you said, that shouldn't be necessarily what drives our decision, but if that's what it takes, I'm okay with that. Right. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, but um, so so I I am still hung up on this. I think there are a lot of folks that need it that are not using it. I know the folks that know they need it are probably using it and have a better understanding of this. I just think that there are a lot of folks that I deal with, myself included, who are not using the FR appropriately. So where do we go for more information if if this podcast episode has spark some curiosity in someone what should they do should they be contacting you guys directly do you want me to put your emails in the the liner notes or do they just go to your company websites or where should they go to get more information i think starting with our website is is a, is a great place to go bulwark.com there's tons of information there as well as contact information for people that can answer questions about certain situations, workplace situations, but also about products. Excellent. Bulwark. And that is B-U-L-W-A-R-K. Correct. Dot com. Mm -hmm. Is the same true for you, Andrew? Could I go to your website? Yeah. Nasso.com. N-A-S-E-O-I-N-E.com would be a great resource. Additionally, I think... If you were to go to ASTM.org or NSDA.org, uh, I believe those um, have good summaries of the standards and what's, what's available without purchasing the standard is uh, kind of a, a scope and a summary of, of those items. And plenty of other companies um, will publish summaries of these standards and it's a really good resource to be able to uh, get a, a high level perspective of what these FR standards require and the kind of information that you should be looking for on the term of it. Okay. Wow, this is really this is really eye opening to me. And um I, I'm everything scares me at this point. After forty years of doing the safety stuff, I'm afraid of everything. I can't even drive with my window down for fear like a bird's gonna fly in the I'm just you know, I just live in constant fear, but now I think I need FR clothing because, you know, I, I mean, I go from location to location every day. I'm in a different facility. I'll be out at class today. Yesterday I was in a steel mill. I'll be at a grain elevator next week. I mean, 
ethanol plants. I spend a lot of time in ethanol plants. I need probably level four. I need to be just walking around in the full coverage suit, headgear and everything, because I think there are a lot of exposures. I, I don't know if you've ever been to a grain, like an old grain elevator co-op where the electrical is still like old fashioned fuses and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you open the box and you immediately just start backing up because you're like, oh shit, uh, you know, this is not good. And you see the fuses laying all over the ground where the yeah. farmer has been changing them with a pair of pliers. Yeah. I mean, I think there are a lot of environments where this PPE is necessary and should be part of that assessment and is not. And and I know that I need to be better about this, too, uh, representing this when I'm out there as a consultant. So um, the websites, again, bulwark.com, nascoinc.com, and then the regulatory or the consensus organizations like ASTM and NFPA. Um, there's a lot of information that we need to do, or at least research we need that, to do in order to have a better understanding of this. Um, Denise and Andrew, thank you very much. This is really interesting. I hope it I hope it elicits some questions because I think a lot of the listeners are probably sitting there like, oh man, maybe this is something we've overlooked and right. we need to we need to know more about this. And I would encourage everybody listening to go and, and view the webinar that I got to view already from Andrew and Denise. There's some really interesting videos, right, where the dummies with the FR clothing, you know, are set on fire. Are these people that you're referring to? Uh, no, no. These are actually tests. Actual test okay. dummies. Uh, yeah, I don't <laughs> usually talk about people that way. But, uh, <laughs> my, my wife will correct me. Yeah, like, okay. No, I would agree. I'm so sorry. it's a really interesting webinar. So, I, you know, come to so our website. What is the website? ASSP, the website. Yeah. The Great Plains, the Great Plains ASSP website. Uh, if you just go to Great Plains yes. ASSP. And that's what I usually end up doing. <laughs> go right to the website. They're going to save it as a favorite. video which I do encourage you to go take a look at because obviously we didn't give you guys enough time or the resources to give a full presentation, but I think everybody needs to view that. Yeah. And I hope that um, everyone gives some consideration to this because the consequences of not doing this can be catastrophic. I've seen, and you guys know this better than I, but I have seen situations where we've had arc incidents or we've had flash fires with my time with OSHA and they are horrific and often catastrophic and so uh again what we do as safety professionals is just identify risk and build controls into those systems as best we can we know we're going to have accidents we know that there are going to be incidents and we want to be prepared for that to the extent that we are able and i think adding fr and other protective apparel to that equation helps us take you know a bad reduce the bad outcomes. I I love this topic because I love proactive safety. And that's what this is all about, right? Being prepared for those Mm -hmm. pretty extreme hazards. And and as we all know, usually it's not somebody who's not prepared. It's not the burn that's going to kill them. It's the infection afterwards, unfortunately, for burn victims. So uh, that's the last thing we ever want to happen for any of our employees or anybody. Right. right? Yes, absolutely. Very important. Denise, Andrew, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to meet you. Um, I hope we have an opportunity to interact at some point again in the future. It's been really interesting. Uh, thanks again for your time and your expertise, and I hope you have a great weekend. Ed, it's it's been nice to finally meet you, man. Yeah. I've heard a lot about you, and and uh, you represent the ASSP well. Thank you. Uh, you have Pleasure very well-behaved children. If my kids were sitting over here, <laughs> it would have been a total, sh- you know, fiasco. So, um, 
Good for you, man. Yeah. So, uh, thank you for listening, guys. If you have more questions or need more information, we've given you a lot of sites to seek it out and find help. Uh, you're going to see me in some bulwark clothing next week. Um, nice. And uh, I, I don't, it's probably a little bit too hot outside for the, the, the total, um, you know, but we'll see. <laughs> well, Do they make short sleeve? Is there even such thing as a short sleeve FR? Got to show the guns. There is, but you have to you have to protect your forearms in another way. So you would have to cover because everything that I see prescribes long sleeves typically. That's right. All the different typically, categories. Typically, what people want, but we offer short sleeves under certain circumstances with the very stern warning that you have to protect the forearms. I like that. Okay, very good. All right, terrific. Thank you, everyone. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening, um, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. Yeah, man. Thank you. A Huda Media Production.